wishing everyone a wonderful morning. On behalf of Investment Magazine, Professional Planner and the Financial Planning Association of Australia, we hope you thoroughly enjoyed these first two sessions. There are a couple of other organisations we would like to thank as well, but just a quick announcement to support you and your viewing pleasure at home. To support the stream and the quality that you're receiving, try to use Control F5 if you have any lags. We've got excellent sessions ahead, but we'd like to thank two entities that have made today possible with their insights, their time, and their energy. The first is our advisory board. These are specialists in their area of expertise across financial planning, the superannuation industry, and as consultants. Each of these people have spent many, many hours over the last six months to support the curation of this content and to very quickly adapt as this coronavirus has unfolded. So a big thank you to all of our advisory board. We'd also like to thank all of our sponsors today. Our sponsors have made today possible, and we'd like to thank all of them. And so by name, we have Allianz Retire Plus. They're powered by PIMCO, MLC, and you've just heard from Jeff Lloyd, Cooper Investors. And we also have AMP, Amundi, Challenger, and Thorberg Investment Management. So on behalf of all of the planners that are here today, all of the consultants and all of the superannuation funds, we thank all of our sponsors. Let's continue the analysis and look at the turbulence that we're experiencing in markets, the moving policy horizon as we adapt and try and support the economy, and a range of complicated issues including the unemployment that may lie ahead, the, uh, the challenge around early access, and the advice gap more broadly across Australia. To introduce his panel, I'm delighted to welcome this morning our Director of Retail Content, Matthew Smith. Good morning all and welcome. Um, look, there's a lot to talk today uh, about following Minister Hume and FSC Chair and MLC CEO Jeff Lloyd Q&As. Uh, in this discussion, we will pick up on some of the points made during these sessions and try to provide a bit of context and analysis to the issues that are really unfolding in real time as this crisis continues to develop and indeed escalate. I'm joined today by FPA CEO Dante Degori and Nick Khalil um, from Willis Tauss Watson, who is Head of Retirement Solutions in Australia. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, Matt. Morning, all. Look, um, Great to have you both here. There's a couple of uh, critical issues and areas that I think that I'd like to raise with you both. Um, but look, I, I just wanted to start on the advice um, piece, Dante, with you. Uh, Jeff Lloyd uh, from MLC announced a um, support package for advisors um, uh, for three months, uh, an amnesty of dealer group fees. Do you, is this the kind of thing you're seeing around the industry at all? And, and do you think you'll see more of this? And what are some of the associations doing uh, in, uh, in, in this area, given we're seeing a lot of, obviously, government stimulus? What, what are the associations and also the dealer groups doing? Uh, thanks, Matt, and, uh, and hello to everyone out there. Um, firstly, just want to acknowledge, obviously, these are uh, difficult times for everybody and in, in, in a whole bunch of different ways. And hopefully everyone is uh, safe and healthy. Um, I think the announcement today by uh, MLC uh, in particular is, is a great initiative. Um, it's the first that I've heard so far, um, and no doubt over the coming weeks um, there'll be other announcements within the industry in terms of how we can also support each other in the industry to continue running, and in particular for us, of course, what measures we can take in order to support financial planners, 
and our members in specifically in order for them to be able to continue the work that they need to do. Um, you know, for me, we obviously have the nurses and the doctors who are on the front line on the health crisis. Uh, for me, our members, financial planners are on the front line on the economic crisis. Um, they're the ones that are on the ground seeing real-life mum and dads um, who are worrying about the economic fallout, their, uh, their investments, their superannuation holdings, uh, and our members need to be there and available to be able to do that and to support them. Um, I'm happy uh, through this discussion, there's a, a number of measures that we're looking at in discussion with government and Treasury and the regulator to see what can be done to support um, advisors through this process. Uh, the FPA also will be looking at what we can do to directly support um, our members. Uh, but I also you know, want to remind uh, all our members as well, of course, that we, there, there is access in respect to things like FPA wellbeing um, and support services for them and their staff, for those that are, are struggling during these times as well. Thanks, Dante. And just you know, further on that, um, we, we heard Minister Hume talk about um, perhaps um, a little bit of amnesty from ASIC in terms of their dealings with advisors. However, it didn't seem like there was a, you know, a specific moratorium given by the minister. What was your interpretation of the way in which perhaps, um, you know, regulators might be approaching advisors in the next 12 months and what can advisors expect from that? Yeah, I think the best way to probably read into that, I think there's still more discussions happening. I mean, there is live discussions happening now with the regulator um, on uh, on what can be done. We are obviously making active representations on options available for Treasury and for ASIC to consider. Um, so these will be ongoing. And I think at this stage, it's fair to say there isn't any clear um, or definitive moves. Um, but we're definitely looking to uh, continue to advocate for um, some options to be uh, to be um, actually actioned uh, by by government and all the regulators so they're, they're continuing um, and I think it's important that all options should be considered um, interestingly I know the minister made the point in respect to for example the reform agenda you know we're getting a lot of inquiries about whether the reform agenda is going to continue ie in particular the um, uh, the uh, Royal Commission uh, reforms and I think it's just important to clarify even though Obviously, the government is not, you know, going to put a hold on those uh, on those uh, reforms or, or saying they're going to can them. But as in, obviously, realistically, uh, at this point in time, it's impossible for the government to be able to commit to the roadmap regarding the Royal Commission reforms as current as currently outlined. So, um, so that's really important to remember. When, of course, those uh, th those recommendations will actually be legislated is is unknown. Um, but you know, government doesn't sit until August. So, as an example, one of the feet, one of the the biggest inquiries or concerns we're getting from advisors is in respect to the annual payment requirements um, that is due if passed, due to commence on the first of July this year. Now. It is, it is not even legislated, it's not even um, entered into parliament. It's still an exposure draft. Um, and as a result of that, um, the, um, the legislation is unlikely to pass uh, for the 1st of July. So the question is, when will that now uh, be passed? And for members, it should be uh, a reminder that there isn't nothing legislated yet, and it's unlikely that it will happen, um, obviously, during this time. But in addition to that, you know, we're reaching out to product providers and the Financial Services Council to see whether there's opportunity for the product manufacturers and the product providers 
who um, have a role to play in this piece of reform to hold back on some of the initiatives that they were going to put forward in respect to their own, in terms of um, the authority uh, for consumers to pay out of their products, out of their accounts, uh, advisor fees. So there's a few things in play. Um, there's the legislation, but there's also what industry was doing of its own bat in terms of rolling out initiatives ahead of the legislation. And we're just asking for the industry just to slow down, hold back, um, this is, uh, you know, not the time to be rushing and to causing unnecessary stress and pressure on the financial services industry and in particular on financial advisors who are very, very, very busy at the moment dealing with consumer client concerns. Yeah, no, thanks for that. And because I know that a few of the product providers were moving ahead of the Grandfather Commission implementation, um, but are you seeing examples of of uh, product providers moving ahead of the ongoing service agreement changes as well? That's right. So we're, we're hearing a lot that uh, product providers were uh, commencing to roll out um, their processes ahead of the legislation commencing. And, you know, our, our call out today and, and, and privately as well is just hold, hold off if you can. Um, do, uh, you know, that would be a great service to financial planners and our members in respect to just easing off the pressure uh, and the stress that they're already under. I mean, they're not just accessing business continuity measures like we all are in terms of remote uh, remote working, um, but they have been inundated with calls uh, and inquiries from the pub, from their clients and, and the public in terms of uh, wanting advice and support immediately regarding the, uh, the markets, as an example. Yeah, thanks, Dante. Uh, look, I'm going to move to a different line of questioning on uh, some of the measures around superannuation, but before I do, let's try our technology here. I believe we've got a poll uh, question that we're going to ask. So, and here it is. Um, how should we consider the new policy of early access to super? Pragmatic, problematic, or too early, too early, too early to tell? I'll give everyone um, a few minutes there. We've got 500 people uh, registered for this conference, and uh, uh, this is one of the first trials of a, a live stream event. So really excited to see how all this happens and uh, it's folding, unfolding now. We'll just let that come through. Nick, um, I know you've been uh, out there talking to a lot of funds uh, recently, particularly in the industry fund side. Um, now, Hume, Minister Hume painted a, a picture of, of, of co cooperation, um, you know, between the government and industry. Um, but you do get a bit of a sense that perhaps the industry may have been somewhat blindsided by some of the measures that they brought out. Is that how would you interpret that? Uh, yeah, thanks, Matt, and, and good morning, everyone. I, I think that's absolutely right, uh, and, and not surprisingly so. I mean, the, we we have to all respect that the government's making decisions in in a time of you know of great urgency, and so. Uh, all the funds I've spoken to, certainly when this was announced, I think that Sunday a week ago, the early access provisions, um, they weren't aware of it. So um, I think at that stage that was a measure that government um, chose to make and then since then there's been strong follow-up with, with the funds and I think that's that's continuing up, up to, to today. I think largely via the ATO, although I saw that mentioned uh, that Jane Hume was asked about, that the RBA may be um, still working on a liquidity window uh, type of um, mechanism. But I think there has been good uh, consultation by the funds. The funds early on 
I, I would say their initial reaction was one of concern about um, the mechanism um, and in particular some of the early messaging understandably again we, we can't we can't sort of be, be, be critical in this situation but some of the early messaging they were concerned about was messages like um, speak to your fund to make sure they've got your bank account details well the reality is most funds don't have members bank account details that is only only becomes necessary once they're in in payment mode which which for most members uh, isn't isn't current so um, that that's been fixed by a process of, of consultation. I understand there's there's virtually daily meetings going on between the funds, the ATO, and and other bodies as appropriate. So, so yes, they are blindsided, but I think we're back on track now. And and my sense is that funds, you know, funds are are behind this. Funds are supportive. Um, you know, we can have a conversation, and and we we should discuss the the issue of you know the purpose of superannuation. Um, the minister again was asked about that, and I think it was heartening to hear that no, this doesn't. You know, the intention is not for this to change the rules. Super is still for retirement, but as we all know, these are extraordinary times. So it's time for super to play a role, and I think funds are behind that. So we've got over that um, that that piece. It's now about how do we implement this in the most appropriate way, and how do we make sure that. You know, there's there's not adverse effects to, to funds liquidity and to, to to administration systems as we get over this this yeah. quite extraordinary period. Yeah, thanks, Nick. And uh, the poll has just come through. So, how should we consider the new policy of early access to super? Is it pragmatic, problematic, or too early to tell? And it's coming in 42% on pragmatic. So, I mean, to your point, I think the industry. Um, appreciate that uh, we're in a time of crisis. I think that um, perhaps, uh, you know, the, the industry was somewhat blindsided, but, um, you know, I mean, we're in the middle of a crisis, right? So, um, you know, it's fit for the time. Just to dig a little bit deeper into into liquidity and, um, and, in, and what funds in particular may um, be in a position where that could be a challenge. Uh, Jeff Lloyd uh, a moment ago mentioned funds with unlisted assets, um, with uh, written up assets and um, with a concentrated cohort of members could perhaps be in the most precarious situations. Um, do you agree with that analysis? And, and what percentage of funds in the market do you think fit that category? I think, I think very few, um, but there will be funds who will struggle with this. If we just, there's a lot of focus on, you know, the unlisted assets um, component. Uh, most funds, certainly the, the, the big industry funds that, that, that I'm close to, those are buried within a, a balanced portfolio that is made primarily up of, of listed um, investments. So the unlisted component uh, at a member level might only be 10 or, tw you know, at most 20% of their, of their holdings. So so when we when we think about what's happening here, and and let's accept this is these are extraordinary times, and so it is certainly fair to say that you know it's all hands on deck at the funds. This is not business as usual. We know that, but I think it's a it's a stretch to then say that funds are in trouble or funds you know aren't prepared for this. Um, what what we have here is you know we've got a number of, of of things coming together. We've got as we know the early access that we've been talking about this morning, 
But beyond that, we've got members moving assets to cash, even without withdrawing them. We've got pressure on fund inflows due to the fact that a lot of people obviously have, have lost work, particularly, again, among some funds. You think of hospitality and retail sector, obviously, are ones that um, where people will be without work. But, but it's a moving feast because the announcements last night will, we hope, take the pressure off that and keep keep those people on the books if and, and earning money and so that will that will support inflows and then you've got other aspects that perhaps aren't as focused upon because there's so many moving parts to this but you've got um, you know the Australian dollar falling and that puts pressure on on funds that, that hedge international assets so mm. so you've got a lot lot of lot of activity within funds funds mm. are as I say all hands on deck managing that my sense is, talking to a number of them, this isn't going to be a problem. Um, yes, it's a very concentrated uh, period of activity and the pressure points will be, you know, 15th of April, I think, is when we expect the first round of, of the early access uh, claims to come in and then mm. there'll be the second batch early in July. And, and clearly funds will be positioning themselves for that, but I don't think we're going to see the big funds which let, let's not forget have got strong inwards cash flows and while those will be under pressure those can be that cash flow can be used to help meet the cash outflow i mean the funds net net all these cash flows off before they decide to go and sell equity so i don't immediately feel like that we're going to see downwards yeah. pressure on share markets because of funds activities yeah Look, um, thanks for that, Nick. Um, let me ask the question another way, and I think this is an area where there's a bit of retail and institutional market crossover, so perhaps um, for Dante as a follow-up as well. But uh, I think there's a, probably a lot of um, licensees and dealer groups, uh, advice practice businesses, um, running their ruler over um, industry funds perhaps for the first time now, uh, given where best interest duty, um, you know, um, requires, um, you know, advisors to to think about product options probably more intently than they have in the past. So now we're seeing a little bit uh, more industry funds uh, getting onto product lists. Um, are there liquidity issues perhaps that could come out of that um, that process? I mean, should um, you know, retail uh, advice businesses um, be wary of industry funds uh, now, uh, adding to these funds to their list for the first time, uh, and or um, retail funds. And um, Nick, Nick, any thoughts on that? Uh, Dada, do you want to respond first? Um, oh, sure, happy to. Um, look, I think I think the... Um, the due diligence of licensees and financial planners regarding uh, product options has been in place for a long time. Um, I, I think this is a, an area in which they've always focused on and the issues of liquidity is something, is one of those areas in which advisors are very attuned to and aware of and no doubt licensees and dealer groups are. Uh, obviously, this is bringing it live, but I would imagine most clients of financial planners or most financial planning clients um, are going to be uh, are in a, a, a much better position than the Australian public in terms of having a trusted financial planner by their side to help them make the right decisions and also being uh, av uh, available in the appropriate fund for them and having access and support around cash flow management debts um, and, and ensuring up sort of their financial situation considering whatever may be happening to them at this point in time. So, uh, look, I, I think 
I don't think this is going to overly sway um, the, the role of research houses and investment committees that look at products um, and also advisors, as I said, have been well tuned to uh, the operations of the superannuation industry for a long time. Um, and this is this is a, you know, a, a crisis of sort, but, um, you know, and access to those funds are really important. So that needs to be available. And that's that's a, a role for the, the funds themselves. But for, for the for the for the Australian public, for those that have an advisor, for those that um, are in this situation, they've got someone by their side who can help them manage through this process, whether those funds should be accessed from super or elsewhere or whatever that uh, may be. And, and I think that's the way it will continue to go. And, you know, I suppose time will tell the fallout or otherwise in terms of um, this situation in due course. Matt, perhaps if I could answer in a slightly different way. Uh, Jeff Lloyd talked about cohorts and, and the fact that funds have to look at cohorts. I think what um, what we're in has shown is that funds really need to diversify their membership base and, and, and that's not to say they haven't been doing that but the industry fund model where um, a lot of funds have membership drawn from a particular occupational group, um, that has its weaknesses and I think we're seeing that now. Uh, the funds clearly are, that are under stress are those with, with members sort of centred in the, the hospitality and retail sector, which you would think are going to get hit most hard by what we're going through. And those funds clearly have been diversifying. They've, they've reached out to SMSFs and, 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 and tried to draw funds from them. I think we're going to see more thought given to that in, in their sort of crisis planning in the future. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great point. So... Um, do you think funds, in terms of in the context of um, consolidation and and mergers, uh, perhaps haven't thought about that aspect before, and 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 will be thinking about cohorts more closely following this crisis? It's definitely been on the agenda, and and you've seen in the the announcements of um, mergers in recent times, funds are looking to diversify, whether that's by geography or by occupational sector. Um, you know, a lot of talk about do, do you play to your strengths? Are, are we a specialist in a particular sector or do we try and try and branch out? And I think this what we're going through now puts a new light on that. Um, scale is one aspect, but actually getting some diversity to sort of weather the sort of storms we're seeing at the moment is another factor that, that will be taken into account when funds look at potential merger partners. Yeah, no great insight there, Nick. Um, just um, pivoting a little bit into, I suppose, moving on from the immediate crisis and then thinking about super more broadly. Um, one of the points that um, Minister Hume made was that um, no part of the economy is perhaps immune um, to having to do some lifting in relation to, um, you know, helping the economy and super is no exception. But do you think super is doing more than its fair share at this stage or or could it do more? No, I think Super's doing the right thing. I think the funds have come out in support of the early access uh, measure, which has been the main initiative, I guess, the, the new initiative that's been there. Um, the other thing that funds are doing, and again, Dante and, and his, his members are doing, is is supporting members through the the difficult question of, of how to invest their assets during this time. And, and I think 
Um, funds, you know, have been overwhelmed with 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 um, you know inquiries from members on that front, and I know are doing all they can to help help sort of calm members and and get them to make you know, sensible decisions at these in these difficult times, and that's that's a really important role for them. Um, fun, people look to funds to give them the answers. I think that's what we're seeing across the board. Uh, and funds are sort of, in a sense, evolving into that role. I think you go back a few years and they were very much, we're just the vehicle to hold money and, 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 and um, you know, members were left more to their own devices or had to go and get individual plan planners to help them. Funds are now growing into that role where they're able to give advice. Some funds have put up good notices I've seen on their websites not giving personal advice, obviously, but just giving some context to what's going on and help people sort of make slow down a bit perhaps and make sensible decisions, go and seek advice if that's required. So I think that's what funds need to do and I think they've stepped up. Okay, so so Jane, uh, Minister Hume um, mentioned that, um, you know, there, there aren't currently any... Um, measures on the table in addition to what's been currently put out there, uh, the early access and the minimum drawdown changes. But let's uh, throw a couple of options out there uh, for the Minister, perhaps. I mean, um, you know, if this uh, if this um, economic situation continues as we expect, could voluntary uh, super guarantee be on the table? Um, you know, I know uh, perhaps uh, the, I mean freezing of the SG at, at nine and a half percent surely is 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 something that uh, it, it gets a little bit more weight in this environment, Nick. Mm. Well, I note the minister said that there was no plans to change anything that's in train at the moment, and that would include, I would take it, the nine percent increasing to twelve twelve percent over the next uh, four or five years. Um, Will that come into question? I've no doubt it will. I mean, that was a that was an issue that in some quarters was being challenged already prior to this. Um, I, I certainly support the the increase to the twelve percent continuing. Um, but as has been acknowledged before this crisis, you know that is conditional on funds, you know, gaining trust and and making sure that they uh, are seen as appropriate vehicles for for people's future retirement savings. And so some of the issues out of the Royal Commission, um, some transparency of fees and in some parts of the industry just improving the overall offering, um, that still needs to continue probably more than ever um, for the funds to have the legitimacy, rather, to to accept that extra increase to 12%. But I would certainly hope that continues and, and doesn't get called into question. I think to the to the more radical question of, of you know, making super voluntary, um, I mean, that was early on in this crisis, was mentioned a number of times, people saying, you know, give people a 10% pay increase as a, by, by discontinuing super. I would hope that doesn't occur and I would hope it doesn't, it's not seen to be needed given the, the income support measures that the government's announced, including the, the significant pass, uh, package last night. Um, I think that's what we should be looking to to support people through this period, not forsaking the, the important goal that still remains important of, of providing for people's retirement. Do you have any uh, comment on that, Dante, at all, please? Yeah, so look, I think um, I think firstly, uh, if this was normal, 
scenario. Um, we wouldn't even be contemplating this, obviously, but because of the scenario we are in, the crisis we are in, I think, you know, my my, my saying here is that, you know, all, th- all options should be on the table because, you know, this is obviously unprecedented, but also no one actually knows the lasting effect that's going to occur as a result of this. Um, and so as a result of that, we probably do need to look at all measures. But to that point, they're temporary measures to get us through. So nothing should be permanent that would then put in jeopardy the long-term um, goal and sustainability of the retirement um, the, the retirement system and, and in case people's superannuation. But I think calls for um, looking at temporary measures that can assist with uh, the uh, with economic stimulus and also ensuring people have cash flow, et cetera, is really important. But as Nick mentioned, this, the package announced last night will go a long way in respect to ensuring that perhaps this measure in terms of uh, superannuation um, uh, is maybe not needed, but it should be there as a, res- as a last resort if needed. And I think that's really important that we shouldn't rule anything off um, the table, but we should be looking at what's the most appropriate measures to use now versus what we have to use as a last resort because we've exhausted other measures. And I think that's that's probably um, the most important thing. And the other thing as well, of course, is that we're, you know, our, our members play such a big role here in terms of choice. Um, you know, if, if you're not working, um, then, you know, taking your SG as, as cash is obviously doesn't doesn't help them, right? So um, it's, it's you know, again, it's we have to be mindful there isn't a silver bullet here. We have to look at a combination of uh, reforms and, and packages that are combined together will help the whole economy. And our members will play a pivotal role in terms of decision-making. So even if, even if a measure like that was to be implemented, it should be a choice, a choice for the, uh, the, 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 uh, the Australian citizen about whether they want to take that um, SG as cash or to keep investing in their superannuation. And that's where advice comes in as to is to helping them manage that choice and what was the best outcome for them personally. But, you know, again, I suppose we're speaking hypothetical here, but in summary for me, no option should be left off the table, um, but I think we need to look at a sort of an order in which which options you pursue first before going to a last resort order option, something like that in terms of superannuation. Thanks, Dante. Uh, look, uh, I've got a couple of questions here on the Slido. Please um, put in your questions. Um, one from Jeremy Cooper. Uh, do you think uh, typical retiree was in, in the inappropriate asset allocation leading into this disruption? Um, if the answer to that question is in the negative, is the solution partly a, a policy issue? Um, Nick, to you. Well, so this this goes to the um, question I think in, in in the context of the the, the big funds is yeah you know, have they set their default options appropriately? I mean, uh, most members seventy to eighty percent at least of members of the big funds typically don't explicitly choose. They're in effectively a, a default option, typically a balanced option. Um, uh, but some of them actually have, you know, what we call a life cycle approach where they they start to de-risk towards retirement. Now, um, it's interesting having many of those discussions with funds, should, should you move to life cycle or not? Um, we all have our views for and against that. But, I mean, the, the, the value of a life cycle approach was specifically to try and shore up the position of those who are at or near retirement in the event of something happening exactly that we're facing now. So to try and actually take the edge off the downturn um, to protect their retirement outcomes and also just to give them some peace of mind um, at that critical stage. So uh, I, I think, you know, 
at the other side, I suspect that we might see, okay, we've 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 had a really good market for ten years and it's easy to give the advice sort of stay the course and, and, and stay invested. And there's still some truth in that, no doubt. But I think there is uh, a case for moderating risk exposures near retirement. And I think that sort of debate will, will continue after this and perhaps there'll be a bit more attention paid to it. So I think I think that's what we'll see in response to Jeremy's question. Yeah. And Dante, um, you want to add something there? Yeah, Matt, I think this is a classic, uh, great question by Jeremy and also a classic example of where, you know, it, it, with all due respect for government, government and policy making, you cannot create a policy or a system that is equal for all participants. Um, and so this is where the system fall down, falls down and it creates a false sense of security for many people thinking that um, the system is designed to help them and protect them uh, during all events and it doesn't. And this is why personal advice is so critical. Our, our members and their clients um, aren't stuck in default funds. They're in asset allocations that are appropriate for them in their circumstances. And I appreciate not everyone can access advice, but that's probably the question we haven't talked about and isn't being discussed at the moment. But how do we how do we ensure more Australians get access to advice during this process? And so they can review that, they can, they can adjust and pivot um, and ensure they're in the right asset allocation in the first place. And this is a fundamental question that hasn't been addressed. And with all the stimulus that's been thrown out there, um, you know, a subsidy to to, to provide to people uh, to access advice during these times, I think would would be a welcome initiative. Yeah, and, and to be clear uh, on the last question, it was in relation to retirement strategies, not accumulation strategies, uh, Nick. So if that changes mm. anything, um, let me know. But um, I mean, it kind of goes to um, the point. Minister Hume, um, you know, did a an interview yesterday that I think was a little bit more. Um, I, I suppose, forceful in relation to um, the, the way in which uh, the government's approaching funds. Uh, today, I feel like she was a little bit more um, perhaps circumspect in the way she um, addressed the industry funds and, and the superannuation fund industry. Um, perhaps, you, you know, uh, to, to what extent uh, is some of the pressure on funds at the moment market-related or is it policy-related? Um, can you kind of separate those two out, Nick? I think a lot of funds were under pressure before this happened. Um, I think um, this is certainly going to expose some cracks in 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 systems, in 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 the ability to communicate with members and, and, and other aspects of, of some of the the funds that were probably struggling already. So, you know, if there's a longer-term um, impact of what we're what we're going through, and, and of course, who knows how long it'll last. But um, I think we're going to see the conversation about funds merging, you know, accelerate. I think um, not not talking about sort of crisis mergers so much, but I think this will be the last straw for some funds that were probably heading in that way already, and so we're going to see. Uh, a bit more consolidation happen a bit more quickly than it might have otherwise in in, in the industry. Yeah, great. Right. Just looking at some questions on Slido, I know we've uh, we've got four minutes left, uh, so I'll try to pick off a couple of these. Um, look, this is an interesting one. Financial coaches passing themselves off as advisors and then charging fees for service needs to cease. Uh, is this on the radar of the FPA, Dante? Um, or does it play into the hand of Senator Hume who wants to make advice more affordable? 
yes, except it's not advice. Um, so it is definitely on our radar. We are very concerned, um, and we actually got a bit of a project at the moment internally about um, about how to deal with this issue. So as an example, uh, the legislation passed under the with the FASIA stuff was the protection of the terms financial planner, financial advisor, um, and we feel that you know those utilising uh, the terms financial coaching which is, and not being licensed, is actually a breach of those terms. And uh, so we're pursuing that and looking at the fact that we think there are concerns around that. Um, it's misleading, I think, for some Australians and the public that they may be getting advice when, in fact, these people are not licensed or authorised to give advice at all. Now, some of our members do use that as part of uh, their value proposition as well. They do offer, and financial planners, by definition, coach. Uh, and support their uh, their clients, and so that's part and parcel. But they're licensed and authorised to do so. So uh, we do have a concern, but there are other ways in which we can tackle the access issue and financial um, financial coaching. In itself, is not the answer. Thanks, Dante. Just back to an issue we we um, spoke to before. One of the questions here: the concern around industry fund liquidity and asset allocation has highlighted an issue. One problem I found is many rating services take the information provided by super funds rather than standardised measures. What, what are your thoughts there? So I suspect that question is referring to the classification of assets and there's been yeah. uh, an attempt to, to sort of standardise what you call a, a growth asset or, an, or a defensive asset. Some funds report their sort of growth allocation as being 70%, but, but on, on a different measure, they might be closer to 90%. And often the, the, the area of contention is how you classify some of these unlisted assets, which are, which are a talking point at the moment. Are, are they growth or defensive? Um, it would be great to solve that issue, but it is a difficult issue. Um, funds, in some cases believe strongly that, that these unlisted assets they hold are have defensive characteristics and so classify them that way. Um, I think there's a whole conversation there, sorry to dovetail off a little bit. The valuation of unlisted assets inside these funds, and as I said before, they're often only a portion of a balanced portfolio, but they can be a material portion. I think what this whole episode is exposing is the need to have more robust valuation and more frequent valuation processes around them. And I note that a number of the big funds at the beginning of last week sort of went out and acknowledged that they were they were revaluing unlisted assets. That has to happen, I think, and be baked into the system more than it is at the moment because there are some pretty big equity issues there, people jumping out of those options before their unlisted assets are revalued can sort of leave game the system in a sense and, and leave leave the other members to to um, bear the costs. So that'll be looked at in much more closely, I think, in future. Yeah, no, great point, Nick. Um, look, I think we're at time there. Um, if I can just squeeze one more question in, uh, Dante. I know we've gone back and forth, but I think um, you know I think uh, the, the the conversation. Uh, has been really interesting. So thanks uh, to you both. Um, I just wanted to leave it on on tax deductibility and advice. Yeah. I mean, um, Dante, we, we, we seem to be in a bit of a stimulus state of mind at the moment. Is this the right time to start picking off some of the bigger issues relating to um, relating to advice? 
yes. Uh, the, the simple answer is yes. And I think, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we would be putting forward to government is consideration, as I mentioned in my previous response, support for Australians to access advice. And part of that measure could be looking at a stimulus package to, to fund the cost and, and, you know, to subsidise the cost for Australians. And tax applicability could be one of those options. But if I also could add, um, in addition to access, I think just, the, uh, just two other measures that I just wanted to... Uh, just to let your listeners uh, and viewers know that we um, that we're sharing with members today is that we're also questioning whether we could raise a threshold for small investment advice, uh, so that advisors can provide more advice without a statement of advice and during these critical moments. And in particular, I think this will help uh, in terms of um, uh, the superannuation question as well, and also relaxing the the requirements for time critical advice to give planners more time to deliver their statement of advice um, because. There have been influx with uh, 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 queries and inquiries from, from obviously their clients and they are trying to give advice very timely and quickly but the process end, the administration end of actually getting out the documentation obviously is going to be pushed back um, because of the influx and the, num and the volume of inquiries and so we're asking for some relief measures there as well. And just another thing, something quite simple, wet signatures. Why do we still have product manufacturers, product providers and banks still requiring wet signatures in this point in time. Um, and it's just it's just showing some inefficiencies in our system. So just a couple of things there. But in terms of, you know, going back to your original question, absolutely access. Um, we would support and welcome uh, as part of the stimulus packages, future stimulus packages, where uh, Australians can be funded or, or supported and funded in accessing advice. Great. Thanks, Dante. And thanks, Nick, as well. I know uh, LPB, uh, Lawrence Parker-Brown, is in the studio, so I'll throw it back to him now to start the next session. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Lawrence.